Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Daniel Feuerstein here, the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. We're going to do a tactical analysis about the game. Obviously, Sunday night into early Monday morning, Carter Krishnar was not able to join me. Obviously, too early, or should I say it's too late for him to stay up past his bedtime, which I understood. But i got to tell you, everyone, and Carter was with me in this, my goodness, what a final this was in the CONCACAF Nations League once again. Kardik Krishnayar from World Soccer Talk joins me. And Kardik, your overall thoughts on the match at this point in time? Yeah, amazing, uh, amazing night for uh, for Concacaf, for the Nations League, for the U.S. Uh, tough loss for Mexico, but they uh, uh, they got in, in, in line as, as we knew. Just uh, a uh, uh, fantastic young player. Uh, that's gonna that's gonna help them. Uh, they they work without Raul Jimenez, obviously, which is a, a huge loss uh, for them. That that uh, uh, that favored us by right? not having to defend against Venice. But what a great victory this was for the U.S. A lot of the mistakes we had seen on Thursday night, a lot of the things that we didn't like Thursday night, were corrected by Brett Burhalter. So. Um, I, I think we saw a more pragmatic side of Burhalter. Now, there's been criticisms. I mean, you know, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? There's been criticisms of him from these critics and people who don't, uh, who aren't going to, uh, whether it's gender-driven or not, uh, aren't going to give him credit that, oh, well, he set them up in a system which they hadn't really trained in, and there was a lot of confusion in the first half about assignments. I agree with that. However, these are some of the same people who were saying he should be more pragmatic because he's, uh, he's forcing a style on a set of players. And, and Damon, you and I have been talking about this for three years uh, about Berhalter because Berhalter was very much hired to bring a specific style of play to the national team. And he's been very dogmatic in keeping that style. So then he goes to three at the back, which gives you a little bit of extra protection for Serginho Death really poor one-on-one defending. We saw through much of the La Liga season at Barcelona. Allows you to play DeAndre Yedlin, who also is kind of questionable as a, as a one-on-one defender, but you can you can move uh, Death to the left. I mean, they could have kept Death on the right and, and stuck with Anthony Robinson on the left. I think Robinson would have been better in this formation, actually, than he showed on uh, Thursday night. But elected to go with the Yedlin. Gave you a little protection uh, there. Also gave you... Uh, the, the, the change from Yule to Acosta gave you a guy uh, who was a little stronger in front of uh, um, in front of that back three, uh, what is now back three, right, with the back four on Tuesday, uh, that Yule was and gave um, uh, McKinney a little more ability to uh, to, to do his box-to-box thing. Um, and then I would say up front uh, that, that there was uh, a decision made to uh, – Play with Reina and and Pulisic on either wing. They played more. You know, the formation at times looked a lot like 
what Chelsea is playing. And, and um, with Mace, Chelsea always has Mason Mount and one other attacking midfielder, whether it's Pulisic or Werner or Harvard there. Um, often it is Pulisic, actually. They don't push Werner up front or Harvard up front. So Pulisic, I think, was more comfortable in that system. I don't think he had a great game. No. But, um, but Weston McKinney had a great game. Oh, yeah. That, 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 maybe that's where we start because he's the guy I know – um, the narrative, maybe because Premier League bias, whatever, is that Pulisic is the best American player. I don't believe that. I think Brooks had the best season this year. I think McKinney's got the greatest upside going forward. Pulisic is up there, don't get me wrong. But uh, and I, I think this was Weston's breakout game at the international level. Um, we have not had a box-to-box midfielder like this in a long time, even more dynamic than Michael was. Um, we haven't had a guy like this since Johnny O. And Johnny O was always injured. We never really got the best of Johnny O. So, uh, really exciting night. It really was. And you know what? I agree with you about Weston McKenney. And I'm not trying to put any pressure on him. But his attitude and the way that he performed on the field last night, uh, should I should say on Sunday night, I'm sorry. I'm going to use this uh, comparison. To me, he's the new deuce. He, in my mind, embodies Clint Dempsey, not just because, you know, of the of how he performs on the pitch. His positioning for those goal for those opportunities for those corners were fantastic. He's got a nose for goal. He is just, you know, action personified. He's got the swag, the guile, swagger, everything that Deuce has. Especially him being on the pregame show with the. With uh, Charlie Davis and Gucci Anier with Kate Abdo, I mean, that's what you expect from a guy like Weston McKenney, in my opinion. I'm like, I'm saying, I'm not trying to put any, put any pressure on him, but for me, he's the new Dempsey in my mind. Yeah, so kind of ironically enough, um, earlier in the, in, the, in the European season, I, uh, I uh, took everyone to task on Twitter saying, stop elevating these U.S. guys. Uh, they're not ready yet, they're not quite at that level, and then I guess at some point in the same kind of back and forth, I said, well, I think McKinney could be our third best player ever behind Donovan and Deuce, or Deuce and Donovan, depending on which order you are. Right. And then people magnify it, they're like, hey, you said cool it on these people, but now you're saying McKinney could be in the next Deuce. So, yeah, I guess I'm of two minds, because I think that we put too much pressure on Pulisic, we put, put too much pressure on, I think we put too much pressure on all of them, but... From what I saw at Juventus this season, again, I watch a lot of European football, so I like Pulisic. I just think he's got limitations in his game. He doesn't read the game as well as I'd like, although I think he's, he's getting there. He's getting better at it. Um, he, he's behind Tyler Adams in, in some of like his read and recognition, but you know, on the ball, he's brilliant. But we did never the moxie, the leadership, the personality, and the box-to-box capability. I mean, you're talking about... Um, you're talking about all, uh, yeah, yeah, I, maybe I actually, yeah, I, I'm going to say, okay, and I'm not saying he's as good as Paul Ruff, I'm not saying he's Paul Ruff, but uh, yes, but he's that kind of player, that kind of box-to-box guy, Michael Essien is the guy that comes to mind when I think of him, even, uh, even a guy like, uh, uh, Roy Keane, he has a lot to his game on, uh, that, uh, yeah, I'm throwing out great names here, right, but, um, this, McKinney could be a transitional player for the United States. He has got 
Also, the way he attacks the ball on set pieces, I saw this at Juventus this season. Fans have got the deep-line playmaking ability of the guy who coached him last season, Andrea Pirlo. So, really, really brilliant uh, player. I mean, I think another uh, another guy that comes to mind that I always felt was, was very underrated um, was, uh, was uh, uh, Darren Fletcher on Manchester United, who won however many Premier League titles. You know, I'm some guys this guy reminds me of, or Yaya Torres. I mean, these are elite names I mentioned. I'm not saying McKinney is at their level yet. No. He's getting there. In the game, in the biggest game at the international level that he's played. Because remember, Bruce Arena didn't pick him for the Trinidad and Tobago game, and then famously went on television in his first appearance a month later and said, oh, yeah, why well, is going to call McKinney and Miazga in for the World Cup? Well, why did you call him in for qualifying then? Okay? <laughs> you really thought that it was smarter to try and qualify with uh, you know, whoever we had in the midfield in that game, Darling and Nagby, that it wasn't with this kid. Um, okay, Bruce, I mean, that was a mistake. But um, this, so this was the biggest game he had played in. Uh, and he, he, he elevated his game. I do have to say, again, Daniel, the decision by Berhalter to put Kellen Acosta in that role in, in, in lieu of... Uh, Jackson Ewell made a big difference in McKinney's game, McKinney's play. So, so give, give Greg Berhalter credit there. He made the change to the guy that would be complimentary and do this, um, do the job, kind of the dirty work, to allow McKinney to have the game at. I agree. I absolutely agree. Not going to put any pressure on him. I'm not trying to myself, but to see his game elevate like that, in a big final, especially in a Nations League final like this, um, was outstanding. Um, you know what? I have to say this, Kardik, and while my fears came true, boy was I happy that Ethan Horvath did come off the bench to take over for, for Zach Steffen. And I'm not saying I want Zach Steffen to lose the number one spot. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, is that if Stefan's not getting proper minutes at Manchester City in Premier League action consistently, I felt he should never have started either the semifinal or the final against you know in this Nations League tournament. And when he pulled up lame in his area, I said to myself, Greg, do not mess around. Get him out of there. He's hurt. He's not going to finish the game. Get Ethan in there. He got him in there, and I'm not blaming Horvath for the for the goal he allowed at all. It's not his fault. But I'll tell you, Cardick, the save he made in the second half. Yes, he made another one, but that was pulled. Uh, the offside flag came up. But for him to stop the penalty in extra time after the U.S. goes up three-two. My God, what an amazing match. Limited time, maybe, but Horvath was excellent coming off the bench like the hero he was. Yeah, and Horvath hasn't been getting regular games at Club Bruges either. That's the Mellon Mignolet went back to the club. Um, I interviewed Simone Mignolet a few years ago when he was at Liverpool and he asked to be called Simon. I think he was trying to angle Simon's name while he was in England, but it is Simone. Simone Mignolet went back to Club Bruges and, and, and took the number one shirt from, from Horvath this season. But without 
proper game time. The kind of game time he's been getting previous years, so he was able to come in cold and do that, which makes you think maybe there are greater issues with Stefan that, than that he's not playing. And quite frankly, Stefan played a fair, fair number of games for Manchester City between all the Cups this year, and he's made mistakes, like I said the other night. He made, I, I watched Manchester City, as, as everyone knows, so um, uh, he made mistakes in, in multiple matches this season, kind of head-scratching mistakes. Unfortunately, Stefan, I know he's going to be the number one goalkeeper for Greg Berhalter when we get to World Cup qualifying. I don't know what's going to happen now. Obviously, uh, it's a leg issue right now for uh, Zach Stefan as he is uh, going to now rehab it. I don't think he'll be available for the Gold Cup this coming July. But, you know, Horvath, in my mind, without a doubt in my mind, Horvath deserves an opportunity to be the number one goalkeeper for the national team, uh, whether it be in World Cup qualifying or you give them that opportunity in the Gold Cup this July because I'm telling you right now, Cardick, what I saw from him was unbelievable coming off the bench cold and not his fault what happened in the friendly in Switzerland, but once again, I trust Horvath more right now, not because of skills, not because of, you know, how he's positioning, more because he has minutes under his belt at Club Bruges. Right. Like I was saying, he's, he's lost the starting spot there, but he's managed to keep himself fresh. And I think Stefan, there's some, some self-doubt, some lingering questions uh, as to his... Uh, as to his just mental fitness and, and, and during some of these matches. Now, honestly, this could be just a phase. We've seen keepers have some of the top keepers in the world go through these cycles where they have a bad couple months, they have a bad path. But I think with Stefan, his, um, his main asset for Greg Berhalter is his distribution out of the bat. I agree. With which he's very good. You lose that with Horvath. Okay, what was obvious was, and I, this is the flip side of, of, of the Horvath argument, because we're thinking about him as a shot stopper. The flip side of it is, he's not able to put the ball to his feet and play kind of direct balls to, to the wide guys for, you know, to, 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 to the back three, and then get, let them um, let them push it wide as quickly as Horvath is. But what Horvath did do, is he helped spring some counterattacks with, with, with good, with the kind of distribution we used to see from Timmy Howard back in the day, but which Burhalter is trying to get away from. And quite frankly, he's kind of a fad in world football now. 
it's play out of the back, everybody's playing out of the back. Um, Ten years from now, maybe it'll swing back and everybody's playing, uh, the keeper is taking long goal kicks again. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. No, we'll see, definitely. We'll see about that. But like I said, um, I mean, I thought Stefan had some good saves in this one, uh, especially in the first half on that onside play, late in the first half, the breakaway. And uh, once again, uh, Zach Stefan, thank God he was there to make sure that it wasn't going to be 2-1. Um, you know, know, why did that happen? So this is the, this is the, um, the question. And Stefan didn't get to see out the game. But why did this happen where Stefan was being called upon to make some, some of these, uh, these, these shades early on? There were some clear communication problems between Mark McKenzie and Timmy Ream. And I don't know if the two of them have ever played together before. I, think, I don't think they have. No. So, yeah, and then there were some issues, I, I, I think, between McKenzie and Yedlin. Now, Yedlin... I, 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 we see a different Yedlin at, at, at national team level than we do at club level. So I, I've watched him at club level. Uh, he just moved to Galatasaray. But even in the end of his run at, at, at Newcastle, he had a very, very good game against uh, Sadio Mane, right? You know, yep. Mexico doesn't have a player of the caliber of Sadio Mane. So he had Mane in his back pocket for that game against Liverpool. But he doesn't, it seems like there are being countless communication errors between whoever the right center back is and Yedlin through his years on the national team. And uh, just another example of it. And then Reem, uh, Reem and Desk were not on the same page for much of the game. Uh, that was very disappointing. There were also two instances where John Brooks, uh, who's coming for some criticism, I'm, I'm not quite sure why, but um, because he's usually cleaning up other guys' mistakes. So when he's in the picture, it looks like he's made a mistake if someone's out of position. Had to make two really good tackles uh, to prevent... Um, from having to do even more. So, um, yeah, the back line we know is a weakness. And, and like I said, I think John Brooks had the best season of an American in Europe this year. Uh, but other than Brooks, we're very weak back there. And Brooks is having to do the job of multiple, um, multiple guys, for lack of, you know, I, 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 it, 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 it's, it's unfortunate, but this is the, uh, this is the reality right now. So, um, I think you're looking at um, the the possibility, unfortunately, based on the shambolic nature of what we saw, the bad one-on-one defending from Gas, which which started in Barcelona toward the end of the La Liga season and continued into both of these matches at, at the Nations League level, and of course this time Gas was moved to the left. Uh, he's been playing right back for Barcelona. The possibility that Berhalter is once again, I, we didn't see much of Reggie Cannon. Uh, I'm not sure if he's ready. I hate to bring up this subject, Daniel, but I think Berhalter in the back of his mind. Um, forget the Gold Cup. We're not, the Gold Cup really doesn't matter. So we could just see some guys in that tournament. It would be nice if we win it, but I'm not that concerned about it. Qualifying's next. Yep. And I am going to throw a bomb out there. I think Burhalter is probably, after seeing these full, the fullback play the last two matches, thinking once again about the idea of using Tyler Adams at right back. Just because you you need someone who's going to lock down. Unfortunately, you take Tyler Adams out of the midfield, I think you have other issues. Now, can Kellen Acosta maybe do that job? Yesterday, he deputized, and he looked fairly solid. Now, the other thing we saw is Acosta having to play fullback. 
effectively uh, toward the end of the match. Um, so we have a problem you know, on our back line. Uh, we have, in, in John Brooks, I think, an elite defender, great season at Wolfsburg, helped them qualify for the Champions League. They kind of forced them to win this league. Uh, but the other guys are all, you know, are, are just not... They, they don't replicate their club form at that at the national team level. I mean, it's really frustrating. I'm a big fan of Timmy Reams, as I know you are. You covered him for a number of years. But it seems like what – and now he's not even playing for full. So now maybe it, it makes sense that he would have a bad game. But what I would see as full of Reams, I hardly ever saw at the national team level. You know, it's just – I maybe there's something not right with the national team. Same thing with Yedlin. Like I said, Yedlin – what I would see from them at Newcastle, I wouldn't see at the national team. Both those guys would drop off when they when they played on the back line for the U.S. Um, and I saw it again from both guys yesterday. So I, I, uh, I you know, there's a lot of positives to talk about, but the back line is, is a negative, and I just I hate to throw that out there, Daniel. I know you hate that subject, as do most fans, as do I. But I think Berhalter is thinking about that again after last night. Uh, uh, let me say this right now, Cardick. And as much as I love Tim Ream, as much as I know how good of a center back he is, uh, I said this when I was tweeting it. I love Timmy, but I have to say it. I think he's done for the national team. I, I just cannot see him playing center back, wing back, however, wherever in, in the back line you're going to put him in. I'm sorry to say it. I think it's time for Tim Ream to just retire from national team duty. I, I just don't think he has enough anymore to be on the national team. I still will support him. I still love him. I still enjoy watching him play center back uh, for Fulham, and he's signed a contract to remain at Fulham, even though they got relegated. Still, I just think his national team time is over with. Um, but I will also say this about Burhalter, which is a real shame, because honestly... Stop building the attack from the back line. Because you cannot do that against a team like Mexico that will press and they're going to counter and they're going to find a way to drive the ball down your throat. That is still the number one issue that Greg Berhalter has in his tactics. I do not like it when he builds from the back. You cannot build from the back with a team like Mexico that is ready to run and gun. And even though, I will say this, even though Tata Martino's zonal tactics on corners failed them in this match, he is still a better tactician than Berhalter, no matter what. Well, he's more pragmatic, right? I mean, Berhalter has a style and wants to play a certain way, whereas Martino tends to look at the opposition and... Um, make a plan based on that, right? Right. Um, the plan to beat the opposition. Uh, I, um, yeah, on the ring uh, uh, thing, just to tie, to tie a bow on that, I think Timmy, uh, again, you know, he's he not playing recently for Fulham, and as I said previously, he would be this, this, this really outstanding defender for Fulham, particularly the years when they were in the championship. And then, you know, he comes to the U.S. camp, and it, it wasn't the same player, right? I mean, um, granted, I mean, he's a full nine months a year and he knows his teammates, but he's been very much become the leader of that team. When they were promoted a couple of years ago from the championship, the first, you know, a couple of pieces, well, not this most recent promotion, he was the standout player on that team. 
downside. But I I think Furhalter is going to persist with Sargent a little longer because I think he really likes the work rate Josh gives off the ball and uh, and defensively. And, and quite frankly, we talk about defensively, we lost to Honduras if, if Sargent wasn't so aware of defensively. That's right. Let's not forget that, right. That's so, right. Yeah, he brings you that. That's something he brings you that a guy like Pulisic or Reina doesn't. Just so, just so the people know it. And, you know, um, maybe, maybe we'll talk about Kimi Weah in a few minutes also. Well, I liked when Weah was brought into the match. So, you know, I don't have a problem with him at all. Um, but I want to talk about the goals right now. And I thought, um, yes, confusion in the back. McKenzie did not defend the ball good enough and gave Mexico a free shot, and they took it, and they converted. Uh, but I got to say, I love positioning of Giovanni Reina, Claudio's son. He was able to be in great position, onside as well. And while Pulisic delivered a great ball, and unfortunate for McKenney to hit the post and out, you know, Reina really surprises me, not just how he brings up the ball, not just how he works with the ball, but how he puts himself into position without the ball, and he's in the perfect place for the rebound, and he's perfectly able to convert that chance and tie up the match at one. I mean, he's been... I mean, you could definitely say man of the match if you wanted to with the goal and, of course, the assist off the corner, but to McKenney, but still, though, Reyna, to me, you know, you talk about generational talents, that's generational talent right there, my friend. His dad being one of the best midfielders um, in U.S. soccer at the time, and seeing the shot of him and his and his and his mother and his brother celebrating that goal on CBS uh, Sports Network, that was just a thing of beauty. Yeah, his mother was a, was a pretty good player herself too. Uh, and, and obviously, we all know the tragic story of what happened to his, his older brother. Um, he, um, he, he he had an up and down season this year at Dortmund. I mean, I think uh, toward the end of the season, he wasn't playing as much. Uh, part of it was Jason Tanchel was on fire, and and, uh, and they had, so they they had gotten reverted back to um, to the formation that they had played previously uh, when they when they played both Pulisic and Tanchel when Pulisic was at Dortmund. Um, in, in the interim, they had switched to a three-four-two-one, which really helped Reina because he was able to pair, pair alongside uh, Marco Royce. But uh, uh, Gio can't really play wide, so once they went back to putting wingers in that formation, um, he was coming off the bench. Uh, but he played; he was playing every game. He was coming off the bench. Um, yeah, I, I think he, he, he had a very, very good night. I, I wouldn't give him the man of the match award. Actually, personally, I would give it to McKinney. I mean, McKinney, I think, was um, uh, just showed not, uh, 90 minutes, or 90 minutes, sorry, 120 minutes, uh, elite level type play consistently through the match. Where other guys uh, had flashes, uh, some good set piece delivery, obviously from from Pulisic. Uh, I I also like the fact that we saw on. Um, the set pieces, a willingness to attack the ball from attacking players. What we've tended to do as the U.S., other than Deuce, is uh, on these set pieces have our big, tall central defenders attack the ball, and the defenders wait for rebound. And I think we saw a lot of guys attacking the ball, finding um, 
finding some space. Uh, defensively, it was pretty pretty solid on set pieces also. I mean, I have to say, uh, Mexico had some interesting training ground moves, things that Tata had clearly worked on with the team uh, that almost came off, but our defenders did well on set pieces. Uh, I, I bring up the Timmy Wea thing because I think uh, we, we, we're patting ourselves on the back for Weston McKinney winning the Copa Italia and Pulisic um, um, being Champions League and Gio Reyna being on a team that won the, the German Cup. Um, but Timmy Weah was on a team that won the league. Which cup competitions are random. Uh, oftentimes these teams play their second units in, in cup competitions or they rotate. In the case of Champions League, it's a little different, obviously, with Chelsea. Uh, but uh, so the thing about Weah this season is he didn't start for Lille. But oftentimes he'd come on as an attacking player when Lille had a lead in the game. And we're trying to see out a 1-0 lead or a 2-1 lead. And if that came on against PSG, the game that ultimately decided the title, because Will uh, finished one point ahead of PSG, uh, the game in, in April, as the Parc de Prince, Wea comes on in the first half, there's an injury. Uh, Will is already up 1-0. He comes on, and he has to defend most of the time. And this is something that, you know, two years ago, when he was on loan at Celtic, he wouldn't have died. When he was as a national team, he wouldn't have done. Um, but he learned how to win. And he learned that um, as an attacking player, there are things he has to do on the defensive end. So I think Furvolter was very comfortable knowing the kind of season he's had at Lille, knowing that that team um, probably has one-tenth the payroll of PSG, one league on, right? As I said, yeah, that was the big game. And when they beat PSG in, in, in Paris, they were two points behind them. Before that, they were... They, they were one point ahead after that, and that, that's where they finished um, several weeks later after a couple more twists and turns in the, in the, uh, uh, on the road. Uh, so Leo, um, Leo was really good holding Lee. And so Wea comes on, and you saw the defensive work rate. You saw the positioning stats. You saw he understood where he needed to be, what he needed to do to help um, uh, the, the, Timmy Ream. Uh, what he had to do to help Mark McKenzie, what he had to do to help Kellen Acosta defensively. And that's not the kind of thing you have normally seen from, like, a flair attacking player um, in recent years in the U.S. pool. So uh, just a fantastic uh, performance from him. Great idea by Verhalter to put him on. You know, look, the other thing about Greg is that Verhalter uh, played most of his career in Europe, so he knows – how it is kind of at the club level in, in Europe. Uh, I don't think he played in France. He may have played in France. We definitely played in Holland for a number of years, Germany, played for, for, for uh, Crystal Palace in England in the Premier League. Yep. Um, Berhalter knows what Wea went through this season, that will, what the struggle was, how you suffer every day when you're in a title race. And again, it's not like being in a cup competition where it's knocked out and you, you struggle and you read the paper that there's so much pressure on the next game. and um, So I think Halter understood, if I'm going to see this game out, even though he's not a defender, I'm going to throw him on because he's just been through a league campaign where he won one of the best leagues in the world. And yes, again, I, as I said, he didn't start on that team, but he came off the bench a lot. He played like 28 times, 38 games season. He played like 28 or 30 times. Uh, only started a handful of games. So he knows what it takes to see a game out. 
so the reason I illustrate this, Daniel, and Timmy Weah, among all the other guys we talked about it, we have a group of players now who are winners. Exactly. Know how to win. Know how to suffer. Know that they have to do little things to win matches like this and to win cup competition. So um, that is such an important part of building the DNA of a winning, uh, winning program. And I think uh, there's a lot Tim Weah can share uh, with the rest of the group about that. Because now that I think about it, there aren't many Americans that have been on title winning teams in Europe. I mean, there are, but not, not in big leagues, like in the, what we call the, the big five leagues. Offhand, I can't think of many guys, Americans, Timmy Howard at Man United. Um, uh, I, I really can't think of uh, any others. You know, the, the, year, the year landed went to Bayern, they finished third in the league. So um, there, there haven't been many. So way a kind of a trailblazer in that sense. Yeah. I know I'm someone, but I, I, I know Stefan was on Man City, but as we talked about, he didn't play in many games. Whereas Wea, uh played in 20-some-odd games. Like I said, he played in 28 of 38 games, uh, league games, which you know makes you a title winner, makes you a guy who won the league. No, exactly. And that's where you have to hope for experience to come in no matter how big or how small. And good good job by Timmy Weah to go out there. And, you know, I'll even give Burhalter credit. You know, I'm not trying to trash Burhalter. Do I think he needs to um, do better with his tactics? Yes, I think he does. Because I think too much, he goes out there, you know, with his system, and I don't think it's enough. Because this is international football, you know, you cannot go in there assuming your system is going to work to a T. This is why you're a national team head coach. Sometimes you're just going to have to go and throw out the kitchen sink and find out what works best. Because if you're going to stick to your tactics that you've done at the club level and it's not working on the international level... Well then, who has to change? It's not going to be the opposition. They're not going to change their tactics. They're going to find a way to break your team down, and they're going to find a way to go out and make sure that you are embarrassed from the opening whistle to the closing whistle because they know how to defeat you. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that's... Ultimately, the, um, the, the the issue now. I mean, a few years ago, Mexico had guys, and again, those are second-tier leagues, but I'd say they're the sixth and seventh-best league in Europe, so they're still not still pretty good. Mexico had guys that were playing on on, on Porto and playing on um, PSB in, in Holland, and they had guys that were winning a lot in those leagues, and it showed. Whenever they play on, they knew how to see, how to see out games. They knew how to win things. Um, it's kind of an acquired skill. And, uh, well, I, again, I mean, I, I don't want to be too too negative or nasty about it, but winning winning in, uh, in MLS and Liga Mekis isn't quite the struggle it is uh, as winning in Europe. And, and part of the reason for this is because we have playoffs and part of the reason is our seasons are shorter. Uh, in fact, Liga Mekis, I, it might be harder to win in MLS than in Liga MX because Liga MX has this very odd format where you can win 
uh, in half seasons, you can win titles, and, and uh, it's very hard to get relegated, etc. So I, I think having guys on European clubs that are competing for honors, and there's a lot of pressure, and if you don't perform, you're dropped, is important. And all of our guys have been dropped at some point this season. Um, Way, as I said, didn't start regularly. Uh, Pulisic has been in and out of the team at Chelsea, regardless of who the coach is. And, and um, you know, he's had really, Pulisic has it, it, been a very streaky player for a couple seasons. I mean, even at Dortmund, his final season, he'd have, he would have three or four incredible matches in a row and then have four bad teams and then get injured and then come back and have four amazing games. So he's been in and out of the team. Reina has been in and out of the Dortmund team. As I said, uh, they had a formation earlier in the season under Luciano Favre that favored uh, Gio. I almost called him Claudio. <laughs> <laughs> Gio. And, uh, and, and now um, they had an interim coach come in after Favre with Sack and, and Terzic, and he changed the formation because he wanted to get Sancho back in that team. Um, and then in, in um, Juventus, you had McKinney generally playing a key role, but he did something very stupid a couple months ago, which I think people uh, may be aware of. Um, with COVID, breaking COVID protocol, um, which prevented him from coming and joining up with the U.S. team and also got him suspended from Juve and, and on the bench for a few games. So hopefully that experience grew him because, as I said, after he came back, he was a monster for Juventus and now had his best game for the U.S. Uh, and again, I'm saying he's the guy who we could be talking about in the same conversation as Deuce and Landon down the road. Not yet, guys. Not yet. Everybody hold your hat. But, but I'm saying down the road. So all of these guys, and Tyler Adams has been in and out of the team at Leipzig. Now, generally, Adams has played under Julian Nagelsmann when he's been fit, but he's been hurt an awful lot. So um, I, I don't know if he'll get hurt less with, with Jesse Marsh managing him again. I, I don't think that's the case. I think you know, uh, there's an injury issue with, with Adams that needs to be solved. Um, and unfortunately, like Pulisic, um, if Adams is going to continue to be hurt, you can't always count on guys that are constantly getting injured. Um, which is another really good thing about McKinney. He had one uh, one injury with Chalka that came up, kept him out for a month or two. But other than that, his uh, four seasons now, yeah, this, is, this would have been his fourth complete season in the top European league. He's been, he's been generally fit. Um, but my point is, we've had a lot of guys who come in and out of their team. Sargent has actually the guy who probably started the most of the guys we're mentioning, but he was on the worst team. So, um... Our guys know now what it's like to fight. This is something Casey Keller had mentioned uh, many years ago, that he felt like too many of our guys were either on, in MLS, where you get handed things, or they were on teams in Europe that weren't very good, so they were one of the better players on those teams, so they were always playing. Now you're in a position where your guys are fighting for playing time. And uh, I think that's helping. Now, okay, so another guy that played just about every game was Sergio Dex. Barcelona and he just didn't look I, I think he was really off in both these games in fact I think he was really really off in the Switzerland friendly yeah um, so three bad games in a row for death the three subpar games and as I told you he um, he started just about every game for Barcelona he wasn't playing well but he never got dropped um which may tell you kind of where Barcelona is, right? I think every, most of the listeners know Barcelona is basically broke. And they 
the guys you're signing this summer, they're signing on three, three transfers, right? They don't yeah. have money to play the transfer market. But um, that has given depth a run of games on a good team. It has also made depth maybe not as competitive as Pulisic, Reina, McKinney, and Adams because he's not fearing for his position because he's, he hasn't been dropped. And, and he, the truth is he hasn't been dropped by the U.S. either. I mean, we changed the formation, I think, partly because of him because it was clear he couldn't play as a white bat as a one-on-one man marker uh, against a, a team as good as Mexico. I mean, he couldn't do it against Honduras either. So you're really asking for it against Mexico. We changed the formation. We move him to the other side where he may be stronger as an attacker going forward to link up with Pulisic. And we still see a really uneven game for him. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little concerned about him. I, I think um, the situation at Barcelona, I mean, this is the funny thing, Daniel. You know, years ago, you and I would be on the same show complaining when Americans didn't play in, uh, in Europe. Now I'm at the point where I want our guys to get benched and have to fight to get their position back. Right. I told you, it's benefited McKinney. It's benefited Wea. It's benefited Reyna. Uh, the fact that death has not been benched in spite of, you know, I, I didn't watch every Barcelona game. Right? I don't watch as much La Liga as I do primarily for this league. Right. right now. But I watched enough, enough Barcelona and watched him in the Champions League to know he, he, he was having a real rough time of it, particularly at the end of the season. And uh, that carried on. Again, one other point I would make also is that I think um, we're going to have to figure out a way um, to get some productivity out of that number nine position. I am lauding everything that Sargent is doing, but we need um, to either get goals or assists. I, I'm not a guy who says, oh, your, your center forward has to score. But I do think that your center forward has to be involved in good build-up play that allows you to score goals from open play. All three of our goals came from set pieces in this match. Yep. Um, the, the concern is maybe Sargent isn't that guy. And maybe you have to start thinking of using a false nine. Uh, if you don't think Sabatio's a 90-minute player, maybe he is, uh, but he's probably not. But he could be a good guy to spell him. You start thinking about Pulisic or Brendan Aronson or, or, or even maybe not Sebastian Legette can't be a false nine, but can you see maybe with Brendan Aronson's movement, maybe that's an option. Um, it's tough to play without a striker. I know some teams do it, um, but the U.S. don't necessarily have the, 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 the ball-playing midfielders and, and the experience to do it, but you... If we get into qualifying and we start having some trouble, particularly away from home, it might be an option that Berhalter looks at and saying, hey, uh, uh, I think it would be, uh, the two candidates would be Pulisic or, um, or Aronson. Or Berhalter can just suck it up and call in Daryl Deacon. Now, let's, let's, let's have this conversation, Daniel. I mean, we've been praising Berhalter a lot tonight, but you said you don't like the playing out of the back. No, I don't like him playing out of the back. I, I just feel like it, 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 it's, it, it's a situation where you're inviting an issue that you don't want to have. That's why I don't like playing out of the back. I feel like you're inviting the opposition to say, oh, yeah, we're going to take the ball away from you. So that's why I don't like yeah. it when they're playing out of the back. But go ahead, Cardick. Yeah, so my point was, I think the reason why we haven't seen Daryl Tite called in regularly for this national team is that he is a target player. He is the epitome of uh, 
the kind of football Greg Berhalter is trying to get away from playing. Right? Mm-hmm. His previous U.S. DK would be a guy that's featured. Um, but the longer this goes on with Sargent not being productive as an attacking player, remember I've just not uh, outlined why I still like them, even though nobody seems to agree with me on that subject, but why I still like Josh Sargent. Um, Berhalter's going to have to make this decision. He's either going to have to think about using guys with the, the kind of movement of Brendan Aronson or Christian Pulisic as a ball sign, which is very tough to play, particularly with a team like the U.S. that probably won't, won't hold possession as much as maybe you'd like. Again, if you're going to do that, you need to have Tyler Adams in the midfield. You can't have him playing right back. Um, or you're going to have to just say, okay, we'll try and work on this, this, this ball playing thing uh, after 2022 or maybe in the friendlies even leading into the World Cup after we qualify. In order to qualify, we're going to need a target guy that can score and that can hold the ball up and do those sorts of things that Thorhalter doesn't really value. And that's, that's Daryl Deacon. He's a clear guy in the player pool that fits that profile. Um, you know, kind of a successor to Jose Altador, who I don't think would fit um, this team either. Uh, Altador is not in the picture anymore, but if he were, I don't think he'd fit this team, fit the style of play that Thorhalter's trying to build. So, um, yeah, I think we're going to come to that that point in qualifying. If, if, if uh, the first couple qualifiers don't go well for Sargent, uh, Daniel, we're either going to have to say, okay, we're going to play with a false nine. We're going to give Sibachi a run out. I don't know that he's the guy that can play 90 minutes at this level. I love him as a guy coming off the bench. You know, again, yesterday I thought he did, he did a nice job. Um, but he's a guy who can give you 15, 20 minutes at the end of, the ma- end of a match. Maybe you have to go for DK, which... Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's going to be uh, a big decision for Borhalter because uh, he, he, it's not that he has anything against the kid personally. There's nothing, you know, there's not, nothing wrong with the kid. But I think Borhalter doesn't like DK's style of play. So he doesn't think he fits the way that the national team is building. I understand that. But if the guy that does speak their style of play, which is Josh Sargent, doesn't start producing, you're going to have to go and make you know, some changes, and you're going to have to be more pragmatic, and that that decision might be coming. That that moment might be coming. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, look, I mean, this is why you're a national team head coach. This is why when you're taking on these big international matches, you're going to have to adapt. And that's the one thing that I've always liked about Bruce Arena. Now, granted, um, in the last cycle that he tried to save us to get to Russia, he made a very critical error in the roster for the final match against uh, Trinidad and Tobago down in Trinidad. That, my friend, you know, as much as I respect Bruce Arena, as much as I believe that Bruce Arena is still the best national team manager that, that, that our team has ever had, granted, Bob Bradley's in there too, but... I mean, I will go till <laughs> I will go into the grave to always say that Bruce Arena has always been the best manager our national team has ever had. Period. Yes, he has his arrogance, he has his moments, but out of you know maybe one mistake he's made on the roster for the Trinidad and Tobago match for trying to get into Russia. Excuse me. Um, I will take Bruce Arena. Any day, every day of the week, no matter what anyone and, says. And it's really, one of the guys we're talking about is, uh, is John Brooks. And John Brooks, 
absent. John Brooks' injury is why we didn't qualify in, 20, in 2017 for the 2018 World Cup. Dorita very clearly said that after. Um, that basically, um, Brooks not being fit, not having Brooks for the last four qualifiers made him shuffle the back line, uh, and the results were disastrous. And, 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 and uh, you know, and unfortunately, that included Timmy Reed, right? Timmy Reed doesn't play if Brooks is fit in, in, in a four-man back line because Arena didn't play with, with Reed at the back. And um, Reem and Gonzalez are guys that go down in infamy, unfortunately, because of that. But I think if Brooks doesn't get injured, the third week of the season at Wolfsburg in 2017, we make that World Cup, and we're not having it some of these conversations. Now, we might have bombed out of the World Cup once we got there, but we would have made it. And uh, the conversation would be very different. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, the injury to John Brooks is what did it. And Arena, you know, maybe Arena should have made different changes, right? Maybe it should have been Omar Gonzalez and Henry. Maybe it should have been Matt Miazda. Um, that's the big debate, right? That was the big debate right after. Maybe if you called in Miazga instead of, uh, instead of Reem, it would have been, it would have, it would have gone better. Maybe, I mean, we can all say it would have, but we don't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, possibly could have had scored two more goals if, if Rios got there instead of Reeves, right? I mean, I don't know. Or the Honduras game when Reeves started, right? Right. So, um, yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. So, I mean, I think just in, in summary, we're, 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 we're at the end of the, the conversation. I, thought, I think this, the fighting spirit was great. Our ability to score on set pieces was good. Um, the fight was good. And in terms of the, the way we were able to keep the ball at times in the game and launch uh, launch uh, attack, uh, sustained possession, not really sustained possession, but more sustained possession than we've had against Mexico in the past. Uh, the bad news with some of the mistakes playing out of the back, and I think uh, the continued weakness of, of our fullbacks, uh, who were wingbacks in this game. And that's something that, again, uh, a dirty... The, 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 the dirty subject I know no one wants to hear about is I think for Verhalter, if things don't change on that front, he is going to consider putting Tyler Adams back at right back. And unfortunately, this time, I hope he doesn't do it, but I can't blame him this time for thinking about it. Now I see why he wants to do it in the first place. He just doesn't have enough faith in our guys playing at the outside back, uh, defensive back position and mm-hmm. full back. Yeah, and that's a shame, and hopefully uh, he'll change his mind. But, you know, this is why the Gold Cup is here. This is why I believe he can tinker a little bit now with the Gold Cup roster, Um, and I agree with you. I think that, you know, if you're going to try some new players out in different positions, and if it's good enough that he's able to adapt some of these players into a different position moving forward, and they excel, then possibly World Cup qualifying starts in September – and he can play around a little bit. You have three match days now within a week and a half. And that's not just for CONCACAF. It's for everybody. That's why you have these games coming up. Yes, I understand, but that's what friendlies are for. Granted, but how many friendlies are going to get? You know, obviously this coming Wednesday, they'll be playing against Costa Rica at Rio Tinto Stadium. Uh, you know, this upcoming Wednesday, but still, though, you know, in a Gold Cup tournament yeah, where you... Right, yeah, yeah, I'm not concerned about that. I think what basically Burhalter is playing with house money now. Yep. You've got to get your, uh, you've got to get your, 
uh, see if a Gold Cup can deepen your player pool because there are these concerns. Maybe there is a fullback. Maybe a guy like James Stan uh, uh, can help the national team, right? Uh, right. Help deepen the pool. Maybe he's a guy you look at in the Gold Cup. Maybe uh, I think I would like to see – there are a couple guys actually in Europe that didn't get called in for the, the, the Nations League that I, I'd like to see. Um, I'd like to see some more Julian Green. I, I don't know. His uh, team got promoted, right? He helped lead them to promotion for their first. Yep. So maybe he, he's not uh, going to be in the Gold Cup. But you, I, I, I want to see a deepened player pool because the guys we're talking about that we're, we're lauding, a lot of them have chronic injury problems. And you see what happens when you take Tyler Adams out of the team. Well, you see what happens when you take Weston McKinney out of the team. Or you take... Uh, Christian Pulisic out of the team. So uh, we still have a depth issue um, with the U.S. And obviously we didn't get to see Muse in either of these two matches. He's a guy with tremendous upside, really good in tight spaces. He might be that link player that holds us, allows us to hold possession a little more and uh, do some of the things Burhalter wants to do with the high press and with uh, uh, playing out of the back. But, again, um, Daniel, I, I do kind of see your point on playing out of the back because I just think that you you go into and yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, ESPN is going to do a knockoff job on the Euros. You will see the teams that play out of the back in Europe, the ones that have fullbacks that are kind of at our level and center halves that are at our level, other than Brooks, often give the ball up and give up two goals. And so, I know UEFA is a higher level than Concacaf. And we may get away with it in CONCACAF. Right. But um, we will eventually, if we're playing this way in a World Cup, and we have Germany in our group, or we have France in our group, or we have Belgium in our group, get burned pretty badly. Exactly. If we don't improve that. Exactly. So, just need to be a little more uh, adaptable, I guess, to other, other, uh, other ways of playing. Yeah, that's all we have to be. I mean, I like to see Burhalter be a little more adapt to... Go against what your opponent is doing, and then if you need to change it up a little bit during the match, that's fine. But don't flat out go straight, build from the back. Because you're not going to achieve anything against uh, a Spain or a Germany. Especially a Germany, because we all know what they do in friendlies. They use friendlies to experiment which players are ready to make the next step on the next, you know, for the next level. But when they call in the big boys for either World Cup qualifying, Euro qualifying, European Cup, tie, European Cup uh, tournament, or the World Cup itself, that's when the big boys show up and they go out and they demolish their opponents. And the other thing about Germany is Germany is the country that has pioneered really... I don't want to say pioneers, but I think this, this was a Dutch concept, which is why Berhalter is so into it. But uh, that has really mastered the high press. So if you're playing out of the back, and I see it all the time in the Bundesliga, this is why Sargent is really good at counter-pressing. When I talk about when we say Sargent can't score goals, he's not good at distributing, he shouldn't be in the team, but he's really good at ganging pressing and counter-pressing because he's playing in Germany. Um, they are masters at a quick pace. It's almost like getting a steal in the backcourt in basketball and getting an open, you know, an open layoff, right? That, but, uh, and obviously, uh, it, 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 you don't score that many goals in soccer like basketball. But what the Germans 
club teams do and what the German national team do, does is they press you high and they force that mistake. They force that bad pass or they force that tough decision that you have to make in a split second. And unfortunately, American players often make the wrong decisions on the ball in that situation. And two seconds later, your keeper is picking the ball out of the back of the net. So that's how Germany beats people now, is actually the high press. And if we're playing out of the back and we play, let's say, Germany in the World Cup, we're playing right into it. You know, they, 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 we can see four goals in that game, and they, three of them would be cheap. Well, actually, you make a good point, because we haven't discussed the first goal yet for Mexico, which was which is like how I'm describing the Germans. You press high, you force the, you force the decision, the guy has a split second to make a decision, Mark McKenzie, he makes the wrong decision, next thing you know, Zach Stephens picking the ball out of the back of his net. Yep. Same thing. Yep, exactly. And that's where, you know, you get worried when you see a player like Mark McKenzie, who I enjoyed watching him play um, in MLS for the Philadelphia Union, obviously. Um, I thought he was the next best uh, starting center back for the national team. And I wish he did play in some of these under-20 World Cups or the, you know, he was on the Olympic squad. He would have definitely done a big job there. But, you know, I I felt Mark McKenzie, you know, unfortunately Aaron Long is done for the season in MLS. uh, But still, though, McKenzie still has plenty of upside to his game. So I'm not completely dissatisfied, but at least he built back his center back defensive prowess and was able to go out and have a better game after the, the after the poor first half he had. Yeah, we're going to play this way. We're going to have to get long uh, fit again. Uh, and it's going to be late in qualifying. You know, uh, you mentioned from MLS standpoint, he misses the rest of the season for the Red Bulls. From the U.S. standpoint, he misses at least uh, half the uh, octagonal. So, um, and we don't know if he'll be the same player when he gets back. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not that young anymore. But, yep. um, with the guy you're going to have to pair with John Brooks, I think, if you're going to play this way. And so Berhalter, I think, envisioned who his best uh, his best back four was. He had to go to a back three because of this, this unfortunate situation I was talking about with, with, with death. Um, not unfortunate in a personal sense, unfortunate in a football sense. Um, and the bad place he's in in terms of his form as a defender. Uh I, don't, I think if you don't get Aaron Long back, uh, you might have to look at Miazga again. I don't really want to. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a tough one. Yeah, I, I, there has even been some talk you might have to play McKinney at center back, which is ridiculous. No, it's ridiculous. I don't want to do that. Yeah, but but so this is, the, this is the position we're in. I mean, unfortunately, it's not a club team where you can go out and buy a guy. So... Um, and again, Mexico got a lot of chances last night, even though we won. And those guys eventually played heroically. But you have a real issue at center back, and I think you've got an issue with the two full backs. Um, and going forward, you don't have many issues. You're fine-tuning things for the U.S. But the problem with this is, you know, we were, as Americans, we were used to one-nil games for a long time. One-nil, two-nil, nil-nil. Now, because we're, our squad is not particularly balanced, matches like last night, like 3-2, Four three. Those are going to be the score lines uh, unless we figure it out at the back, and we're going to have to outscore people, and that's not a good position to be in. No. So, um, for all the positives of last night, this this is going to have to be solved, and I think it starts with 
adding a better ball playing center half paired with Brooks, figuring out what you're going to do about the two fullbacks, and um, and hopefully not having to use Tyler Adams as one of them. Hopefully you can continue to keep play Tyler in the midfield, but he's your best, he's your smartest player. Okay, we're talking about a lot of guys' uh, football ability, uh, soccer ability, physical abilities, etc. He is, and uh, athleticism, Adams is your smartest player. So you kind of want him in the quote quarterback position. Um, but if you don't have anyone at right back that you can trust, Unfortunately, Burhalter, I, I hate to say it, I think he's going to do that again. He's going yeah. to him there. Because he knows he's the smartest player. And he'd rather have the smartest player in a place where he could get burned if you're marking uh, a Lioness or someone of that caliber. Um, a quick winner, Joel Campbell from, from, from uh, Costa Rica, for example. Yeah. Or, yeah, Alfonso Davies, right? I had, heck, I mean, I saw Adams have to mark Alfonso Davies in the Bundesliga this year. Um, you've come up against Canada, I mean, Canadians could, could really burn if uh, um, you have the wrong guy at right back. In yeah. fact, not they can burn you, they will burn you. Alfonso Davies is the um, the best player that this this region, uh, I mean, I guess if you include Mexico, maybe not, but the best the best player of this region is U.S. and Canada has produced in, in, in 10 years at least, I mean, since Duke. So, um, you, you, if you're a Burhalter and we're going to an octagonal, let's say Canada's there, right? I think they probably will be there. Uh, you, you're not very comfortable with the idea of Dexter Cannon marking Dave. So this is, these are the sort of things that are going to come up in qualifying, unfortunately. But, but maybe we'll worry about that in a, in, in a couple of weeks and we can enjoy favoring the victory from last night. Exactly. And my final thing is this. VAR used in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals and the final match itself. In your mind, do you think all the calls were done correctly, or do you think there was an issue? Um, okay, so let's go through them. Um, the offside on Mexico's goal that was disallowed, I thought, was correct. Although I think it was one of those that without VAR, it's a goal because it was not, you didn't really see daylight, if you know what I mean. It was because you had the still frames. Uh, so I, I could see how Mexico felt hard done by that, but he was offside. Um, the next one was the, uh, the next VAR, was the next VAR one the, of our goals? The Pulisic penalty. Okay, so the next VAR was... Uh, with the Pulisic penalty, which I think was um, was questionable, I think it probably was a penalty. Um, but it was it was really close because I think so. The one angle when in line in in, in, in when we saw it live, I thought it was a penalty, and I was screaming at the television and, and going crazy. Then I saw the other angle. I thought, you know what? He's going down before. The guy, the, 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 the ball, the challenge comes in, and I'm not sure. The Mexican defender may have gotten the ball, may have. It was really close. Uh, I don't have a problem with it being a penalty, but I think it was it was really close. I think that's one of those ones where even with bar, it was like 50-50. Uh, then their penalty, I think, was not a penalty. Okay, so I, I felt like that was a makeup call. And that was not a handball. Uh, that was ball to hand, and the hand was in a natural position when you're turning. So I didn't like that call. It was a makeup call, mm-hmm. I felt. 
Uh, because, yeah, as I said, the Pulisic penalty was 50-50 in my mind. So I, I can see how Mexico felt like between the offside, which was very close, and the Pulisic uh, call. They were very, and they, they, they lost their composure by that point. Um, but, uh, no, the, 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 the handball on, on Kellen, the handball on Acosta was not a handball. I think that was a terrible call. I think it was a makeup call. It was very CONCACAF-wide. But Horvath stayed the penalty. Guardado hit it terribly. Um, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I guess I guess two of the bar calls were correct, and one wasn't. I guess. Yeah. So two out of three ain't bad, as they say in the business. No, it's not bad. <laughs> it would be zero out of three otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Probably be zero out of three without bar, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I I didn't really see much in the one for Mexico, but the referee decided. Look, I'm, I gave the U.S. a penalty. I'll give this. I'll give them a penalty. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you. I thought on the first replay, I thought Pulisic lost the ball. I thought the defender got to the ball first. But yeah, the I, angle I saw it in, maybe it wasn't the right angle. Because, you know, live action, I thought he was taken down without the ball being removed. So, I, at first I said to myself, well, that's a penalty, but wait a second. Maybe it's not a penalty. Let me see the replay. doesn't look like one. And then I see this. I think it was more the second defender got him first before the ball was taken away from him. So that's where I'm saying yeah, not the like, first defender, but the second defender behind, sort of sort of even in and behind Pulisic got him before the ball was taken away. Yeah, so, so this is what I would say to the listeners. I think it was a really tough call because, like you, in live action, I thought it was a penalty. I'm screaming at 12.15 in the morning. I'm <laughs> waking up my... Uh, my wife and my cat and my, my, my niece, right? Where they're all, everyone's like, what the heck's going on? Yeah. Then I see the angle from the other, I see the other angle, and I think at that point, you know what? Pulisic is, is going down, he's been dispossessed. That's a clean tackle. Then I see another angle, which makes me think the other Mexican defender clipped him. So I, honestly, yeah, I, I, was, I was glad they gave us the penalty. I think it was probably the right call, but if they had reversed it and, and given Mexico and I'll call the foul on Pulisic and give him Mexico the ball, I, I think they cleared it anyway. Yeah. Uh, I would have been like, okay, I guess that's the right call. I didn't like the third one. I did not like the handball. I thought that was a, a makeup call, a bad call. I agree. I the referee getting intimidated because uh, they were throwing things at him. You know, I thought he had re- officiated a pretty good match to that point. Yep. And I still went on the battle and think he had a good match, the official, but I think that last call was, you know, a little bit of fear, maybe. Scared that he wasn't going to get out of the stadium, which I is a human reaction. Yeah. Uh, and he probably is the happiest guy that you know, I gave the penalty I didn't want to give, and they missed it. So, you know, I, he probably was pleased by that. Exactly. Matata had, had already put his hand on him. I couldn't believe he did that. He actually violated the VAR area, and all of a sudden the referee turns around because he feels a hand around him, like, who's this? And, oh, my God, red card, you're done. Yeah, and so the listeners understand this. You cannot put your hand on the official. You cannot make contact with the official. You cannot do that. It doesn't matter if it's a friendly gesture. It doesn't matter if you think you're laughing and joking, which he wasn't, by the way. No. But even though he tried to play it off as that, that is a straight red card, and that is probably a suspension, too, for uh, the Gold Cup. So, uh, for a game or two. We'll see what CONCACAF does with it. But it was... uh, uh, it was a very, a, a very strange lapse in judgment for Martino. I mean, obviously, 
passions were high. I mean, we've never seen anything like that those extra 30 minutes, right? Right. Which for those of us on the East Coast was after midnight. Uh, the, the, just the drama and the fan behavior and everything that went off uh, in the stadium, uh, the, 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 the two controversial penalty calls, all the VAR. Um, it was a great game, but I think we're going to remember this game as a great game because of the drama, not just the football. I mean, all of this uh, fit into the occasion. Yep, I absolutely agree. Well, Cardick, other than that... Now we got some time to relax. Uh, the next three weeks, we got to wait for the Gold Cup to start, maybe a little, little, little under a month, and then we'll get back right into it. Yep, yep, looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to the Gold Cup shows. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a fun time, everybody. So, once again, for Carter Krishnar of World Soccer Talk, this is Daniel Feuerstein here. Thank you for joining us for the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show, the tactical review of that CONCACAF Nations League final. And we'll talk to you again next time. Have a good evening, everyone. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. And as always, please, enjoy your football. <laughs>